This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. I'm Kathy Ritchie. I spent 10 years helping care for my mother after she was diagnosed with dementia. As a reporter, I'm taking a deep dive into the ups and downs of growing old. This is Here Arizona's Aging Podcast. I'm going to kick off this first ever podcast with something that might be a little shocking. Old people have sex. What do you consider old? 50s? People in their 50s have sex. 70s? Yep, them too. 80s, 90s, it goes on. Okay, so maybe that isn't a revelation to you, especially if you're over 50 and still having sex yourself. But still, aging and intimacy are not things we like to talk about. Just because people get older, they don't lose the need for intimacy. Marianne McCarthy is a geriatric and psychiatric nurse practitioner who works at assisted living facilities throughout Phoenix, Arizona. Intimacy, I think, is an issue with people who are older because they lose partners. They lose friends just by nature of the fact that, you know, more people die as they get older. People tend not to touch people as they get older. And I find that older adults, especially those who are in different facilities, are like starving. Starving, you know, for intimacy and not just sexual intercourse. Sex, intimacy, closeness with another person, these things are critical to all humans of all ages. But as we get older, there are a lot of things that can interfere with our ability to be intimate with a partner. Arthritis, diabetes, heart disease, certain medications, all of these can make sex tricky. And then there's another challenge to intimacy that many older adults or their partners will face, dementia. And, you know, trying to hold on to her was, you know, with shaving cream on her legs. And it was like, I'm I'm laying in the bottom of the bathtub laughing because it was like trying to hold on to a greased pig. When Walter Doyle talks about his wife, Erin, he likes to remember the good times, the times they were able to connect, even after Erin was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at just 52 years old. Needless to say, it was devastating. I mean, you know, you, you don't figure you're going to sail into the sunset with that kind of prognosis. Uh, she had a lot of cancer in her family, and we figured if anything was going to get her, it was going to be cancer. Walter and Aaron had two sons together and were married for nearly 30 years. Walter says the two of them were best friends, the kind of couple that held hands in public, had long conversations over dinner, and took walks at night. They had a wonderful physical relationship as well. But dementia changed everything. There were times where at night she'd get out of bed and start screaming at me about being a stranger uh, as we were sleeping. It's a very lonely feeling. You sit there and you look at the person you fell in love with that was your confidant that at the end of the day when things are terrible at work or you know, you're know you having a, a problem with your kid or a combination of everything, you crawl into their arms and they tell you it's going to be okay and you believe them. And that emptiness keeps growing because that contact, that emotional contact that you had with that very special person can no longer be there, whether it's physical, emotional, it's gone. And I guess we always used to laugh 
you know, we made great love, but as this started to evolve, you went from making love to sex to nothing. Walter never lost sight of the commitment he'd made to Erin when they were married. He cared for her up until the day she died in 2015. Walter isn't shy about sharing his experiences. He actually wishes more people would talk about relationships and dementia, that it wouldn't be such a taboo subject. Walter says during his wife's treatment, the doctors never even asked about sex. And they're not alone. A 2018 study from the University of Chicago found that just 17% of men with dementia and a tiny 1% of women with dementia talked about sex with their doctors. That's super upsetting, especially when you consider that sex with dementia is actually pretty common. That same study found of those living with dementia at home, 59% of men and 51% of women were still sexually active, even those who were 80 to 91 years old. Sometimes dementia can even increase libido. But just like what happened with Walter and Aaron, it's these kinds of changes that makes intimacy hard to navigate. They're still there. They're still that person. You still love that person. They still love you. But it's not them. Michelle Gorgaitis Reyes is a nurse practitioner at the Banner Alzheimer's Institute in Phoenix. She sees a lot of couples struggling with dementia and the change in their relationship that comes with that. It's very, very difficult to think about having a, an intimate relationship with someone that they love that is not loving them back the way that they're used to. Gregaitis Reyes likes to help couples reconnect after a difficult diagnosis. She reminds them that intimacy doesn't just have to mean sex. That's when you get into, let's look at how can we modify the intimacy piece so that you're able to stay connected. You know, what are other intimate activities? Well, holding hands. You know, things that, that don't require recognition, right, that require just touch dancing, right? Turning on music and slow dancing. That, it, you would be amazed at what that can do for, for intimacy, for connection. When couples are living together, maintaining intimacy is a day-to-day -day challenge. But what happens when spouses, partners, family members can no longer be caregivers and their loved one has to move out of their home? Do intimacy and sexuality have to end once a person moves into an assisted living facility? Well, we recognize that everybody is a sexual being until the day they die. And that's how we see it. Dr. Lisa O'Toole is a manager at Hugo Mercy Living Center, an assisted living facility in Phoenix for people who have Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Residents who live there lead monitored, structured lives to keep them safe and well cared for. But Hugo Mercy believes that their diseases shouldn't prevent them from having sexual relationships. We call it quiet time. As long as there's no coercion, um, they're not fearful then there's nothing wrong with it. We just make sure powers of attorney are aware, and then we allow that quiet time. I mean, do they, do the residents indicate to a staffer that, you know, that they need some personal time? Not really. Do you tell anybody? No. No, no, we don't. But you know what, if I see somebody holding hands and they're kind of smoochy on the 
patio. I'm not too shocked when I see them, you know, walking and then coming back maybe a half hour later and they want something to drink. <laughs> it's like, would you like a cookie to go with that? I mean, what, what do you tell people? It's okay. Hugo Mercy's residents are free to love however and whoever they choose. That includes other residents or their spouses, who are also welcome to stop by for quiet time. But that's not to say that sex is happening behind every closed door. Most residents are not sexually active. When we talked, O'Toole knew of just four residents, two different couples, who had that kind of relationship. It's just that intimacy is treated as a normal, healthy thing. You know, why would we say you can't do that? that that's almost inhumane. I know. I, do we sound crazy? No. Okay. Do we sound aggressive. Okay. Said it's different. Hugo Mercy does do things differently. It's actually pretty rare to find a facility that embraces sexuality and intimacy the way it does. Hugo Mercy trains staff on how to approach sex. They also train residents' families on what to expect, which can be tricky. Not everyone wants to think of their parent or grandparent or even spouse like that. Denise Gutierrez's mom, Lori, has frontotemporal dementia. When she moved into Hugo Mercy, Lori's husband, who had health issues of his own, went to a different facility, closer to his side of the family. So when she came here, you know, there was confusion over that, and she missed her partner. But there was also a gentleman in the same cottage that looked so much like her partner and used the same walker, same body build. There were so many characteristics that were very similar. Denise knew her mother was confused. Lori thought the man at Hugo Mercy was her husband. But Denise says she was okay with that. He can't remember her name. <laughs> she can't really remember this resident's name. It doesn't matter. They have conversations together. They can hold hands. And this has given my mother a sense of purpose. But how does Denise feel about her mother having quiet time? You know, if they want to be, let's say, intimate in their room, I talked to nursing about that. And I said, you know, it is a twin bed. Um, <laughs> I am concerned about them rolling out of the bed. But they have um, mats. And that's my concern. And then the nurse said... I'll check with the other family member, who then she got back with me, and she said they were fine, too. I said, great. Denise is happy for her mom. As soon as Lori became intimate with this other resident, she started participating in more activities and socializing. But the person she was being intimate with wasn't her husband. Michelle Gregaitis Reyes, the nurse practitioner, has seen this kind of thing happen again and again. She says it can be especially difficult for the spouses who have to deal with their loved one meeting someone new. They love their partner. They don't want their partner to be unhappy, but the thought of the partner with someone else is so antithetical to their, you know, life belief that it's, it's just an impossible position for them sometimes. Regaitis Reyes has seen facilities that have to get involved to keep people separated. And she's seen families move their loved ones to entirely different facilities to break up these kinds of relationships. She says there is no right answer here. It's just hard for everyone involved. People can be moved from one place to another in an effort to 
you know, separate them from the individual. What effect does that have on the patient? Well, change is very difficult, right? They typically, they can regress. It, like with any other change, they can get agitated and it, it's hard. Not all facilities treat relationships among residents the same way, and it's the facilities that end up having to make these tough judgment calls. What is appropriate? And what is safe? When should you intervene? And when is someone forming an intimate bond that might be exactly the kind of relationship they need? Nurse practitioner Marianne McCarthy has seen firsthand how meaningful a new relationship can be for someone who has dementia. It's always fantastic when any of our residents just click with another resident, whether it's in an intimate way, in a sexual way, or just a buddy way, best friend way. We find that when they connect, they eat better, they drink better because they remind each other, they attend activities, they're more engaged, they sleep better. So it's just something that we've, over the years, it's better than medication. McCarthy wants her patients to be able to be themselves. If someone has been sexually active their whole adult life, she doesn't want them to have to give that up just because they have dementia. When people are allowed to be who they are and form close relationships with other people, they're happier and less stressed. It can also lead to less stress for loved ones, like Karen Shannon and her husband, Matthew. My husband is here. Um, He's here because um, I became ill and couldn't take care of him. But with that came a bit of guilt on my part because it was for me, not for him at that point. And one day I came to visit with Matthew and Tom was there. Tom is Matthew's roommate. And The two of them were chatting, and I chatted with them for a while, and suddenly they got up and left, left me sitting there, and they went on their little walk, you know, so I'm sitting there by myself. I can't tell you. The expression is, for me, is my heart was full of joy. He had such a good friend that he didn't need to see me, and you can't know how that feels with all the guilt that I had. So the intimacy part for Matthew is a best friend, a best buddy. My heart sings a lot when I see those two together. And uh, it's, um, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. I, I don't believe there's any sex involved. <laughs> but... I guess that would be okay too, you know? (laughs) But my daughter asked me, Mom, what if he falls in love with someone? I said, it's okay, because he's not the man that I married. And if it makes him happy, then I'm happy. like to talk about aging, sex, or illness. So it makes sense that mentioning aging and sex and dementia in one conversation is something we'd especially like to avoid. But there are a lot of people who can't help but confront these difficult realities. People like Walter, who cared for his wife Erin and dealt with a loss of intimacy. Or Denise, whose mom Lori started a romance with someone who wasn't her husband. 
Their stories prove that we need to talk about these issues and remember that regardless of age, living situation, or health, everyone needs love and intimacy. You just listened to the Here Arizona Aging Podcast. That's H-E-A-R Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Since we're a brand new show, please tell all of your friends to check us out. They can search for Here Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And for even more information about the organizations you heard in this episode, head over to our resource page at herearizona.org. Also, our hearts go out to Karen Shannon, whose husband Matthew Shannon passed away when we were reporting this story. Matthew will be very much missed. Here, Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. Rachel Aronoff and Katherine Davis-Young are our producers. Paul Atkinson is our supervising producer, and Linda Pastore is our executive producer. I'm Kathy Ritchie, and thanks for listening. 